Hi, my name's Suki. I'm a marijuana addict. Hi, I'm, a, I'm a recovering marijuana addict, um, and I have a complaint. You guys are having too much fun. <laughs> I brought my 16-year-old here tonight, and I'm afraid that he's not getting discouraged from smoking pot. He probably wants to become an addict so he can be one of us. I don't know. Um, and, you know, it's funny because Mike just said, God, put whatever we need to hear right now into Suki's head. And I thought, well, that would be a good idea because um, my, when I get in this situation, it tends to kind of blank out. Um, and also things sort of tend to run together in my head. So I might think, oh, here's the outline of what I'm going to say. And the next thing you know, I'm going sort of in a spiral and I'm over here and back over there. When I had about um, when I had two years of clean time. I was looking at pictures upstairs. I, I came to the. I try to have a relationship with somebody who also had two years clean, in another program. And um, when we, uh, when the relationship ended, he said to me, "Why don't you work the steps in order?" Well, <laughs> um, you know, my daughter. She has um, she has five and a half years of sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. She's 26 years old. She's um, a hero to me, a heroine. And um, one time I came home from meeting. She says she she never been to an MA meeting. I, she thinks we're like pod people or something. She came. I come home and she goes, "How was your meeting?" I said, "It was great. The speaker sang a song." And she goes, "I am so glad you guys have your own meeting." <laughs> so am I. I am so glad to be here because it's like um, it is. I mean, whatever. Um, comes into my head to say, you guys will, you guys will understand it and it'll resonate, you know. I, I think I went to like the first, when I first got clean, I went to the first five conventions that I could. And um, to tell you the truth, I don't really remember what the speaker said on Friday night. Um, I have problems with memory, concentration, and what's the other one? Motivation. I don't have any problem with motivation, okay. I have, I have got motivation to spare. Um, and actually, when I heard that, we don't read it like that, memory, concentration, and motivation yet. I don't know why, but um, I thought, well, I'll go back to my step one. Lately, I've been, okay, I've been in here 12 years, and now the latest thing is we are working, I'm working the steps with three other female co-sponsors. And so far, we've gotten to step four, and I think we've been doing it for, like, eight months or something like that because we're all we're all married we have children we live in different parts of the bay area but um it's been really refreshing to go back and really um do it beginning at the beginning and in order (laughs) um but i thought you know okay well if i was a 16 year old say you had a 16 year old in front of you and was thinking of picking up um what would you tell him um and so i put down my um first step just so i wouldn't forget um marijuana is addictive don't let anyone tell you it's not, and we know that. Um, marijuana is a gateway drug. My uh, my first husband, um, we, we buried him last weekend, and he used to say, just like in uh, the Reefer Madness, he would pick up a joint, and he the next thing you know, he'd stick a needle in his arm. He was a junkie, but he could stay clean from that as long as he didn't get near the weed. And uh, once I dared to shift my consciousness using a substance, I wasn't shy to try anything else. So... Um, and, you know, God knows what that did to my brain. Cogn- marijuana causes cognitive impairment, emotional imbalance, and physical illness. It affects your immune system, uh, messes up your respiratory tract, coats your lungs. I remember the, there's, you know, in NA, they always have people that are talking, they give the puking green bile story. You know, I was in the gutter and I was puking green bile. And I think, and I always think, well, in MA, we don't have that. But I've heard people talk about coughing up 
green goop. It ain't pretty. Um, marijuana stopped me. I started smoking marijuana when I was 14 years old. So um, my brain was not fully developed. We know that that's a really important period in, the, in brain development, 14 to 18 or to 20. Um, and during that time, it stopped me from learning communication skills, social skills. Um, I lived in, completely in a privately defined universe. I had a big chip on my shoulder. Um, everything was everyone else's fault. And I, there's nothing wrong with me. It was just everybody else was fucked up and the world was fucked up and that was their fault. But I was, I was perfect. I had the inside story on everything. And um, I, I didn't have, I could never, you know, you're supposed to be growing up and sort of I, getting your identity and whatever. I never got a realistic picture. Who am I? So I don't know. I, I had this sort of confused self-concept. I still am trying to rough that in, you know, get right-sized. Who am I? Um, you know, what do I like? What do I not like? Just all those things that I didn't have time or the chance to develop at that time. Um, I want to say thank you because um, at the beginning of early recovery, I think the only thing that kept me going was something called grace. And um, I'm not a religious person, but um, I only believe I, I don't believe things. I take them as a hypothesis and then I test them through experience. And um, you know, they say you have to be in a state of grace to receive grace. So it's like a paradox. I mean, how do I get there? I don't have it, you know. And um, I thought, well, I'm not going to believe that until I see it. Um, and, you know, the openness part that they talk about, well, you have to be open and it'll come. You know, I was um, by the time I came in the door here, I'd been smoking for 23 years. I was 36 years old. I was ending my second uh, marriage. Um and I guess the theme for that part of my life was um, the illusion of functionality. They talk about that in our big book. Um, and I really thought that I had everything together. I had no concept of the unmanageability of my life at that time. And you know what? It's been 12 years, and I'm still, every day, I'm learning something else about the unmanageability of my life at that time. Because now I'm living, I'm living with it. You know, I'm living with the re results of, of what I, the decisions I made and the paths I went down. And, um, you know, we don't re re regret the past, but we live it. We see it in our lives every day. Um, <clears throat> I was uh, doing some research on marijuana addiction um, the other day because I was pretending to talk to a 16 year old. And um, there's this interactive brain on, on parents, the anti-drug. And it shows what marijuana does to different parts of your brain. And um, it talked about the, the uh, frontal lobe. So in teenagers, the frontal lobe is not developed, that develops between 16 and 20, right? And that's the part of your brain that helps you make decisions based on your prediction of the consequences of those decisions. And we all know that teenagers, you know, they think they're going to live forever. They think it won't happen to them. You know, they think they can, uh, you know, be a painter and also be a race car driver, whatever. And so then on top of it, marijuana impairs that. So you consider that I was smoking from 14 to 36 and um, sort of making decisions at that time. Somebody in the women's meeting said they were sort of sleepwalking through that whole whole period. So I'm so grateful I came in this program and woke up. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about the results that I'm living with now. Um, well, I'll talk about it right now. Um, I was reading, I get um, a daily reading from another program, and it was talking about they were saying it's a fallacy that uh, higher power gives you, puts, puts suffering in your life so that you could learn a lesson. Because they said, no, shit happens and higher power helps you. And uh, I thought, oh, 
because I'd always wanted to know, well, what is the lesson from all this shit? Because I've been suffering enough, you know. And um, but then I thought some more about it. And I thought, well, what have I learned over and over? This has been quite a year for me. And I thought, well, this year, um, what I've really learned is acceptance, detachment and acceptance. And um, what greater gift is there? I mean, you know, like I said, last weekend I buried my first husband, my daughter's father. Um, he, was a, he was an addict. He struggled to stay clean all his life. Um, and he was struggling, you know, on his deathbed. Um, and he's like, you know, I can't even lie in this bed. I mean, his body wouldn't even allow him to lie in the bed anymore. You know, he had to let go of everything. He had to say goodbye to everybody, and he had to just give it up, whatever it was that he thought was him or he thought he had or whatever. So um, that was a huge eye-opener for me. I mean, I've, and I'm, I'm interested in, in death. I'm a thanatologist of sorts. And I think, you know, that was a, it was a good reminder um, for me um, just you know, how close it is, and to be grateful for every minute that we're alive. Um, earlier this summer, I was uh, <clears throat> I was really freaked out. A lot of stuff had happened. He got diagnosed with the cancer right when his daughter and my daughter was graduating from college. Then my son had a little thing happen that was pretty intense, and we had to all go in family treatment. And then um, I got in a car accident, and so I was driving a rental car, and I left the keys in the car, and I'm walking down the street, and it's beautiful Friday morning, 10.30 in the morning, Birds are singing, sun is shining, and I'm walking down the street, and I'm, I, I'm not paying attention to any of it because I am so freaked out in my head, you know, with my issues that are going on. And out of the blue, this guy comes up behind me, and he hits me in the head with a rock or pistol. I don't know, something really hard. And he didn't say, give me your purse or I'm going to hit you. He just hit me. So it was like out of the blue, boom. And I didn't ever, um, you know, it was like the ambulance and the police and the whole nine yards. I never lost consciousness, and I was able to, you know, scream and go where I needed to go. But, man, the only thing I had right then was that I was alive. That was like the only thing I knew. I could remember my name also and, and my address, and I kind of knew what time it was because I was late for an appointment. And I guess I called them up for there. So they said I didn't have a concussion, but that's kind of how I am. I mean, I've always, um, you know, with that illusion of functionality, I... Uh, I got suspended from school, and then I went back and took all my exams, and I graduated highest honors. I uh, smoked a big joint, and I went and took the SAT test, and I became a National Merit Scholar. So I could all, it was pretty, you know, I could maintain this um, illusion of functionality and being there. But after a while, you know, by age 36, it became clear that, um, you know, my life was a mess. Um, in my bottom, I almost burned down the house that had my children and husband in it because um, I was hitting on a pipe at 5 o'clock in the morning. I got a really good new job, and I almost lost it because every night I'd say I'm not going to smoke again, and every morning I'd get up and smoke, 5 o'clock in the morning, and then I'd drink so much coffee, and I'd be floating, you know, trying to balance that out. I'd be floating into work, and um, I got clean three months after that, and my boss at the time says, you know, I didn't know if you were going to make it because we had real communication problems at the beginning, and I'm like, yeah, hello. <laughs> I, I, so I don't, I can't quite remember how I got into my first meeting. I kept thinking it was my lawyer who told me I could have, uh, you know, because my marriage ended the same day. I smoked my last joint on December 25th, 1994, and that was the day my second marriage ended also. My husband and I separated. And um, I thought that my lawyer told me to go to MA because then I'd have problems if there were a custody issue because 
the Berkeley police and the mental health had all come to my house during this domestic dispute that we had. And so it was on record. They had to call Berkeley Mental Health because I was a pothead. And I was just, I thought I was an upstanding citizen. I had a good job. I had a house. I was on the health commission. I was the president of the neighborhood association. And the crackheads on the corner had a problem. And my husband had a problem because he drank. And the liquor store owner had a problem because he sold liquor. And I did not have a problem. But my lawyer said, just in case, go to this, get clean. <laughs> but I think I might have made that up. So I'm not, but because I think I went to the lawyer. <laughs> I think I went to the lawyer afterwards, so, but anyway, so I got to a meeting. I got to my first meeting, which was um, an, the first Oakland meeting. We had a newcomer's meeting before the regular meeting, and I, you know, I looked in the phone book. That's how I found Marijuana Anonymous, and I went to my meeting there, and I wore my professional suit because I'm like, I don't have a problem. I'm fine. My lawyer told me to come here, and there were these two women in the, in the newcomer meeting, and I don't see either of them here, but they're just beloved um, and one of them had a, a white lightning patch on her backpack. So I said, okay, I'm safe. It's a deadhead. It's okay. I don't, I'm not going to um, end up voting Republican as one of our, <laughs> one of our beloved members likes to, uh, our beloved old timers, founders likes to say. Um, and then I said, well, I'm here because my lawyer told me I don't really have a problem. And they said, oh. I said, yeah, I have a good job, I have a husband, I have a house, blah, 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 you know, all this look good. And they said, oh, we have good jobs, and we're addicts. And they told me about stuff like how to smoke a joint in the shower in the morning before work so that you don't reek. And I thought, oh, my God, these women are competent, professional, functional, and they're addicts. I went to the meeting. I came out of that meeting, and I am so blessed. I knew right then that I had a problem. I didn't have to fool around. I didn't have to go in and out. I went into the meeting. Epiphany came out, had a problem, jumped into recovery on all my, you know, just like that, full speed ahead. So I guess the theme for the early recovery was um, going to any links, you know, how they say going to any links. And I didn't really know what was going to happen. And um, I had to let go of all my wanting to understand everything, know everything, control the outcomes of everything, um, look good. Whatever, everything, and uh, just take the suggestions, which is not easy for me. I am not good at taking suggestions. And if my first sponsor were here, she would tell you that I haven't improved in taking suggestions. I have to call her up and say, you know what, just listen to me. Don't tell me what to do. I never, even when I was a kid, I had a big brother. I guess that has something to do with it. But I went to three or four meetings a week for like the first three or four years. I got a sponsor. I used literature. I have like three books up here right now. What's that? Okay. I, um, because I would just look, put all my literature there by my bed, and I could just look at it, and it would reassure me. I really like reading the original text of things, so I study a lot the, um, the I don't know, can we talk, uh, not endorsing them, but there's another program that has big book, and I, I, read the, I like to read the original text. Um, and so I thought, this is not the end of my speech, but I want to remember this before I get all spaced out and forget. Okay. Um, Oh, okay, because this is Road to Recovery, right? Okay, so I get to be the first one to say uh, what a long, strange trip it's been. Um, okay, you ready? Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. Couldn't resist. 
Um, so the road of happy destiny. Well, then you're supposed to get up there and say, okay, um, here I am. Now I have a fantastic job. I have a beautiful house, 2.7 children, cars in the garage, chicken in the pot, right? No, wrong. Uh-uh. And, I, you know, I was thinking about that, the road thing, you know, that the, we always think there's a destination. We think, well, just as soon as, you know, my life gets straightened out, I can quit smoking. Or just as soon as I get over there, I, I won't eat chocolate anymore. Um, or, you know, as soon as this gets fixed in my life, it's going to be better. We want things to be static and to be to stay the same. It's like this fear we have of change, and we don't have any options. It's always changing. It's always moving. Um, we're changing every minute, um, but we really want things to stay the same. And I keep thinking I want things to be perfect. I have this idea that life could be different than it is, and I've had that since I was a little girl. I don't know. Maybe that's why I had to smoke because it was so hard to be born into this, like a stranger in a strange land, you know. Like, what is this place? And I was really sensitive, and, and all the adults were acting. The gods were crazy, you know. They were, you know, alcoholic, whatever. And, um, I, you know, I keep thinking that it's going to be better. Oh, all of a sudden, everything's going to be okay in my life. But you know what? That's not what this life is about. And um, I had a dear friend in recovery who died on July 2nd. He died. You know how fast he died? He got sick on June 3rd, and he died on July 2nd. Two weeks into his illness, he lost all his – he couldn't even remember who people were, or much less talk or speak to anybody. It went like that so fast. And um, he used to say, well, what I'm getting from this – the guy couldn't read, you know, over eighth grade level, but he's, he was so wise, and he said – what I'm getting from this are coping skills. You know, I didn't learn coping skills when I was growing up, and now I'm getting coping skills from all of you. <clears throat> and so I've had plenty of fucking growth opportunities to learn coping skills. <laughs> and, you know, we always think our suffering's the worst, you know, like, oh, you should have heard what happened to me. And you compare your insides to other people's outsides. Who doesn't do that, right? Oh, if only I had, you know, look at her. She has such a wonderful life over there, and I'm miserable, and um, everyone else is happy, and, you know, it's Valentine's Day, and here I am all alone, or, you know, their house is decorated, and mine's, you know, falling apart, whatever. Um, boy, I had, to, I had to talk about six and seven step. I think that one I've been on, like, for, you know, years and years and years. Oh, let me talk about steps. I'm supposed to work the steps in order, right? But just in case, I, my t- how much more time do I have? Ten more minutes? Okay. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the acceptance part and, you know, my, my higher power is um, reality. My higher power is objective reality. And um, I can't, I don't know objective reality because I'm subjective. I'm in my own personality and I see things from my own perspective, but I know there is an objective reality out there. I just know that I'm not seeing it. <laughs> and so to me, acceptance is accepting that. That is as it is, and my job is to find my way through this objective reality and do no harm, do the next indicated thing, and um, let go of my expectations. And, you know, when you, when objective reality is your higher power, then, you know, you're not the center of the universe anymore. You're just a little speck somewhere, and isn't that a relief? Um, okay, oh, steps. So my favorite step is the 11th step. And I think I started working the 11th step the first time I tried to do the third step. Um, and I, I think the 11th step is the key to all the other steps. And it um, doesn't matter how you practice it. It just, if you practice it. And um, 
I was trying to, so I'm trying to work my first third step and I'm out walking my dog and I'm trying to have this conscious contact using this, you know, whatever my method is. And um, all there is is all this static in my head, resentments, obsessions, blah, 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 going on. And I thought, well, there's my fourth step. So I just wrote it all down. But you know what? I have never finished doing my fourth step. Every year in recovery, every day I get to, you know, learn more about myself and see more about myself and grow. Um, and I don't stay the same. I don't get fully recovered and perfect. And here I am now. And I'm ready to, you know, now I'm ready to stop the rehearsal and live life. You know, um, it's always changing. Um, my my dear, my daughter's father, who died last week, or he died January 13th, and we buried him last weekend, or we flung him all over the Bay Area. But anyway, um <laughs> When he first got diagnosed, I was going to, on a business trip to Baltimore, and I was talking to him on the phone um, before I went, and he was all excited. He loved traveling. He wanted to go to Baltimore, but he couldn't. And he said, um, I said to him, I was talking about an issue that came up at my daughter's graduation, and it came up around a resentment that I have that's been my hardest resentment. Higher power, it's really been hard for higher power to remove it from me because I hang on to it real tight, and I don't even know that I'm hanging on to it. Um, and I t- was talking to him about the resentment and how it interfered with my daughter's graduation. And I said, you know what, Peter, I think I still have a lot of growing up to do. And he said, well, you better hurry up. <laughs> and this is a guy that just got a terminal diagnosis. You know, he goes, well, you better hurry up because you might get hit by a bus in Baltimore. So that's my new motto is you might get hit by a bus in Baltimore. So try to get, I mean, like do, do your 10th and 11th step like right now. Don't wait till tonight. Right now, get straight. Get right with God. Get right with your brother and just do it in the moment. You know, don't say, I'll do my four steps sometime later on. Right now, try and see yourself and try to see what's getting in the way of your relationships with God and with other people. Okay, so the 11th step is my favorite. The 11th step is the key to the 6th and 7th step. Boy, I spent a long time on that 6th and 7th step. I I kept wanting to understand it. And I made it really complicated because I'm a pothead and I'm also kind of intellectual. And I also uh, I just like to make things complicated and I'm kind of confused that way. And this friend of mine in uh, the other program said to me the other day, he said, you're making this. Well, actually, it's the same guy I keep quoting, um, Peter. And he said, you know, you're making this really complicated. He says, you have to make this as simple enough so that Goober Pyle can understand it. <laughs> and it's true. You know, I mean, the old keep it simple thing, when you're getting confused and you say, I can't do the four step because I have to do this and I don't understand that and blah, blah, blah. Just do it, you know, and it's, and you can't do it perfect and you can't do it all at once. Just like in this talk. Oh, I'm going to get up there and I'm going to tell you all and everything in the whole universe and the 12 steps in order perfectly. Right. Well, <laughs> I guess I got what, three minutes now? I got six minutes. Well, I got six minutes to tell you all and everything in the whole universe and how to have a perfect recovery by working the steps in order. Um Okay, well, let me have another reading here. I talk some more about the fourth step. This is my favorite quote in Life with Hope. And I don't know, maybe the person is here who wrote it or the persons who wrote this because, man, what a sentence. Um, where is it? Okay. Were we functioning as marginal members of society, stuffing our feelings and becoming furtive, neurotic bundles of unexpressed emotions? <laughs> yes. Were we? (laughs) Here, here, you know. Um, Were we quick to blame society and our fellow human beings for our woes? I mean, and on and on. I mean, this one paragraph in here 
is just every time I look at it, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect yet. You know, I had a slip today. I had a slip five minutes ago. That's okay. I can get, get right with God again right now um, in this moment, and I can try and go back and make amends. And sometimes the only way I can make amends is just by behaving differently, just by being in that moment differently and trying to see that other person in forgiveness without all the layers of resentment and stories that you tell yourself about them and about other things. That's all just static, right? It's not real. It's like a mirage. Um, and so I've done a lot of topical four steps. I had a couple sponsors that were really helpful in that. One of them was an AA sponsor, and she taught me how to do the fifth column. It's very mysterious, the fifth column. I don't think there's a right way to do the four step, okay? And this is one method. I'm, um, and all, over and over again, what was in that fourth column was fear. Right at the bottom of everything is like fear of annihilation, basically, that I'm going to be left alone, I'm going to die, I'll be all alone, that'll be it, snuffed out. And you know what? I am going to die. And you know what? I'm going to have to learn to detach. And I'm going to also learn how to be present when that happens. Um, and if fear is in the way, I'm not going to be present. And so, you know, it's got, after a while, the fifth column, it just kept saying fear, 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 anger. Well, what was under the anger? Fear. Um, okay, so this is another of my favorite readings, and I see this is kind of has to do with the fourth step. It's a spiritual axiom that every time we are disturbed, no matter what the cause, there is something wrong with us. If somebody hurts us and we are sore, we are in the wrong too. But are there no exceptions to this rule? What about justifiable anger? If somebody cheats us, aren't we entitled to be mad? And shouldn't we be properly angry with self-righteous folks? <laughs> For us of this fellowship, these adventures in anger are sometimes very dangerous. We have found that even justified anger ought to be left to those better qualified to handle it. <laughs> and, you know, during, doing that fifth column and trying to see, you know, what's my part in this? Can I really stop blaming, projecting out onto this other person or these people or this institution or this fact of life. I, I had resentments against facts of life, reality. Okay, I resented reality, and I couldn't, resent, I couldn't accept it, so I had to get high. Um, it's you. It's, it's your attitude. That's about the only thing that you can work on, and, and thank God we have these steps to help us do that. I think the steps are like some ancient wisdom that, Somebody was inspired to just get some alchemy of the soul, you know. <clears throat> Uh-oh. I think I got out of order. <laughs> Let me see if I forgot something really, really. My son's like, I wrote these notes about an hour ago. My son's like, you didn't write your speech? Oh, my God. Um, the, okay, so one, one more thing about the sixth and seventh step, okay. I could not accept that my mind was not going to work on myself, that it was not me that was going to be in control of my recovery and how it worked and when it worked and what got removed. It took me, like, five years. It's like... Well, I think this, and I have an analysis of it, and here's the reason why, and here's what happened when I was a child, and here's what my therapist said, and here's what my self-help book said, and, you know, here's what the guru said, blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Things have been removed from me that I didn't even know needed to be removed from me because I had to accept that I was going to grow in God's time and not 
in my the way that I wanted to grow, just like I wasn't going to get rewarded with, you know, a husband, a house, and, you know, I, the gifts weren't going to come to me that I hoped for and envisioned and expected. Um, the same thing with my healing. Now, here's a, here's a good one. If you have a good friend that dies of pancreatic cancer, you know, you see them, they get skinnier and skinnier, right? Well, Peter got skinnier and skinnier, and every pound he lost, I gained one. But you know what? I didn't. It's the first time in my life I didn't care if I was fat. You know what? I don't care. I'm alive. In fact, I got substance, you know. <laughs> well, I wasn't asking anybody to remove my fear of being fat. I didn't even know that I had. Well, I guess I knew I had a fear of being fat. But I didn't realize how much energy went into it and how much a waste of my time it was, you know, and um, how much it was getting in the way of my relationship with myself. So that's just an example of how, you know, you come back to a convention or you come back to a meeting or you go back to one of your professional meetings and you see, you know, how much you've changed and um, what a blessing that is and that you can actually see it. And, um, you know, because the smoke has has cleared. Um, let me see. I, saw, I heard I worked other programs. I have a lot of alcoholics in my life. And thankful for that because I get to work another program about acceptance. And I was reading a really good, just on this theme of if something bothers you, it's something with you. They said, this good, this reading said, okay, if someone asks you for a glass of orange juice, you're going to give it to them, right? I said, well, what if someone asks you for your serenity? Are you going to give it to them? That's it. I'm done. <laughs>